Ephesians 1.11 says, In him, that's Christ, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him, God, who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Hello, and welcome back to Think This Way. This is the podcast of Faith Bible Church. And as always, I am a host here. My name is Bryce. I'm one of the pastor elders of Faith Bible. I do a lot of the teaching. And that's what we're doing now. Kind of an informal, formal conversation with myself. Because uh, this is one of the two solo episodes this quarter, which I always aim each quarter to have two episodes by myself, which I recognize are not usually as interesting as when I have someone with me. But what I try to do with the two solo episodes each quarter is pick subjects that are more detailed, uh, that require much more care, and that way um, it allows me to be more thoughtful in how I walk through it, whereas conversation is a bit more free. It's more interesting, but it's more free form. So that is certainly true of what we're talking about today. Of course, our quarterly focus is on prayer, and today we're dealing with this question, have you ever thought it? If God is sovereign, why pray? I actually remember at the end of a prayer meeting several years ago here at Faith Bible Church, a dear, dear brother, older brother whom I love so much, came up to me at the end of one of these prayer meetings, and he was uh, not a new believer at all, certainly a very godly man, but he voiced that question to me. He said, that's something I've always struggled with. If, If God is sovereign and he's predestined and decreed all things, why do we pray? What does it do? If you don't have some answer to that question in your own mind, it deflates your prayers because you're always wondering, why am I praying? Is it even going to do anything? If God is really in control and he's really predestined, he's really decreed all that comes to pass as we believe from scripture, if you then conclude, well, my prayers don't do anything, then even if you think, well, prayers are kind of helpful for me personally, but they're not going to change God's mind, they're not going to do anything in real life, that's very deflating. So that's what I want to talk about today. If God is sovereign, why pray? To talk about that briefly, we just need to talk about sovereignty first, all by itself. What do we mean when we say that God is sovereign? It is, I was thinking of it as I drove here uh, just a few minutes ago, I was driving and thinking about the sovereignty of God, And I was grateful that at Faith Bible Church, this has always been, if we can say it this way, one of our greatly treasured attributes of God. We make much of the sovereignty of God. What does it mean that God is sovereign? Simply put, (laughs) although there's, sad to say, there's no real simply put way to uh, put sovereignty. But in a sense, simply put, God's sovereignty means that God has eternally decreed all that comes to pass. So I guess more simply put, there are no accidents. No accidents. That's what we appreciate about the sovereignty of God is even when tragedy strikes, we know God is in control. That it didn't happen apart from God's will. Now, of course, that's where we get into some tricky business because when we say God's decreed eternally, so it's not like he decrees and then waits a little bit, decrees something else. No, eternally, from eternity past, always God has decreed everything that happens. When we say he's decreed it, of course, there is a challenge 
Because what about the horrible, horrible things that happen in this world? Sin and disaster, which God clearly expresses in Scripture he doesn't like. How can we say that when a child dies or when someone commits murder or a marriage is broken up, how can we say that God decreed that? Well, there's a mystery here. If you've been a believer for any period of time and you've wrestled with this idea of sovereignty, then you know there's a mystery here that we can't fully comprehend. Notice we say God eternally decreed all that comes to pass. I didn't say he causes all that comes to pass. Now, in some sense, he does, but it's in some sense. Because if you simply think of God as causing death of child, causing adultery, then you run into a problem because you're going to think of God as if he is tempting people to sin or as if he's authoring sin or something like that. Where James chapter 1 verse 13 says, he himself tempts no one. So your view of sovereignty has to take into account that passage of scripture, that he himself tempts no one. So what we say instead of cause, instead of saying God causes all things, although in some sense you could say that, but to avoid confusion, we say he decrees all that comes to pass. That allows there to be some degree of mystery. And yes, his decreeing includes bad things. I mean, I read for you Ephesians 1.11, which speaks of the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. And that is not just good things. Example A, the murder of Jesus, which was the worst evil that has ever happened yet on earth. Was it an accident? Did it take God by surprise? Did he have no part in it at all? It just, he watched it and it happened, oh my. It was decreed. In fact, God prophesied in detail how it would happen before it happened. He could do that because he decreed it. It was a part of his plan, even though it itself was an evil. Now, we're not going to get into all of the questions of how we understand God's sovereignty and our responsibility, but let me at least just say this briefly. That when you read about this sovereignty of God in Scripture, that he's in control of all things, it is never really presented to us as this mental conundrum. That's what we think of. I mean, that comes up in our mind. How does that work with evil and causing? Actually, when God's sovereignty is declared in Scripture, it's assumed. And then it's always presented to us either, number one, as a comfort. God's in control. I mean, Ephesians 1.11 We've been predestined according to someone who works everything according to his will. So we've got such security. Or his sovereignty is presented as just a cause for our worship or reverence. When we see his almighty power, we just bow before it. We bow before him, even if we can't understand that power completely. So there is sovereignty. God's invisible hand guiding everything that happens in our lives. Everything. He decrees all that comes to pass. Now you can begin to see why this could, in our own minds only, become an issue when it comes to prayer. If God has decreed already all that will come to pass, why pray? Now, there is a way to answer this question that's wrong, but many people have answered it this way. We call it hyper-Calvinism. And it becomes an answer that says, basically, 
Well, since God has decreed all that comes to pass, our prayers really don't do anything. Maybe they change our own hearts. Maybe they help us to focus on the right things. But in the end, they don't do anything. If you didn't pray, the same thing would happen. We call that hyper-Calvinism. We are Calvinists at Faith Bible Church, but hyper, it means this is, uh, it's not that it's too much Calvinism. It means it goes beyond Calvinism. An example of this was famously when William Carey, the great missionary to India, was sharing his vision for missions early on with a group of pastors. Supposedly, one of the pastors, an older one, stood up and said, young man, sit down. You're an enthusiast. When God pleases to convert the heathen, he'll do it without consulting you or me. That's hyper-Calvinism. That older pastor believed, well, if God has decreed to save lost people in India, they will be saved no matter what. So you, William Carey, don't need to do anything about it. This is really just another form of what people call fatalism. Since God is sovereign, then nothing we do really matters. Not just prayer, but anything. It doesn't matter. Now, that is a logical conclusion that we make that the Bible never, ever, ever, ever makes. It never makes that conclusion. Paul never says, God is sovereign, therefore we don't have to evangelize. God is sovereign, therefore I don't pray for anyone. You notice, that's never in the Bible. That's just us. That's just us. So... That's the main problem with hyper-Calvinism or with you ever feeling like, well, no need to pray because God's sovereign. The Bible never says it. Does the Bible say God's sovereign? Definitely. Does the Bible say because God's sovereign, you don't have to pray? Definitely not. So how do we put those together? I think there's a very simple solution. It's simple to me, at least. I don't know. It, it resonates with me. Uh, I think it's a right solution. I think for some people it's hard to really grasp this, but let me just present it to you because it maintains that God is fully sovereign and it maintains what the Bible assumes, which is our prayers actually do things. So how can you put those together? Just like this. You need to know these two words that we don't use all the time, at least not like this. You need to know. One is ends, E-N-D-S, ends. The other one is means, M-E-A-N-S, means. So ends and means. An end is your goal in doing something. It's what you want the end of the matter to be. So if you are making a sandwich, the end of making the sandwich is to eat it, right? The means is making the sandwich. That's how you get to the end, okay? Does that make sense? So the end is where you're going. It's the goal. And the means is what you do to get there. Means, ends. All right. So if you made your bed this morning, okay, think of God's sovereignty. If your bed is made right now, God decreed that end result. He decreed that your bed would be made today. But here's the important piece. He also decreed the means to that end. In other words, he also eternally decreed 
that you would wake up and make your bed. That was the means. And having done that, you arrive at the end, a made bed. God didn't just decree you'd have a made bed, whether you make it or not. God decreed both the end, made bed, and the means, you making the bed. So, if that's true, you can't have one without the other. Because you can't get rid of God's purpose at either point. You can't get rid of the ends that he's decreed, and you can't get rid of the means. They go together. Neither one is disposable. When the man said to William Carey, you can have the end of people in India being saved, if God decreed it, and who cares about the means? Well, God cares about the means, because God has decreed that the means to the in- those people in India being saved is William Carey going there. So God decrees the ends and the means. I know this is a little heady, but I promise you, this can really help you understand how prayer works. So again, another example. If God decreed the end that your neighbor would be saved, God may also have decreed the means of you praying for your neighbor's salvation so that he would be saved. So, does it matter if you prayed for your neighbor? Yes, because that may be the means God ordained, that God decreed, by which your neighbor is saved. And the means, in God's sovereignty, those means of praying, lead to that end. You don't have that end without those means. God decreed them both. Now, what is the point of all of this? The point is, if God decreed not only the ends, but also the means, and if one of the greatest means we have is prayer, we pray for people's salvation, we pray for healing, we pray for all kinds of ends. If God decreed not only the ends that we're praying for, what will happen, but he also decreed the means, our prayers, by which those things happen, then your prayers really matter. Your prayers have real effects. When Jesus says in Matthew 7, ask and it will be given to you, and he's suggesting there you ask, and in response to you asking as a means, it will be given. That's the end. He's suggesting to us, and he's not tricking us, that there's a real connection there. You want your neighbor saved? When you pray for your neighbor, you shouldn't think, well, it doesn't really matter if I pray or not. If God decreed it, he decreed it. If God decreed to save your neighbor, he may well have decreed to do it through your prayers, such that it will not happen without your prayers. Means and end. If you're praying for someone's healing, God may have decreed to heal that person, and he may have decreed the means of your prayers leading to that end, such that if you do not pray, they are not healed. You say, well, God decreed they'll be healed. They Okay, then yes, then you'll pray, right? Because God decreed that means. I know it gets tricky and it feels philosophical, but the point is I want you to have a confidence that your prayer matters. When we have a church-wide prayer meeting and someone prays for something or someone, it's not just speaking to walls. It's not just passing time. It's not just trying to feel like a good church because we pray or something. It's because we believe these may well be the decreed means to the ends we are praying for. And in many cases, they will be. So, if God is sovereign, why pray? Because God, who has decided what will come to pass in the end, 
has also decided that many of those things will come to pass only by the means of our prayer. And if all of that just proves too complicated for you, you know what? Forget it and just remember that your prayer actually does stuff. (laughs) And God is sovereign. Your prayer does stuff and God is sovereign. Maybe in the past you felt like my older friend after the prayer meeting wondering if God's sovereign, how can my prayers do anything? That might have been something you thought in the past, but may God by his grace help us all now to think this way.